Please stand for today's reading. The Old Testament lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verses 22 through 26. So Joseph remained in, e in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were also born on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Joseph. So Joseph made the Israelites swear, saying, when God comes to you, you shall carry up my bones from here. And Joseph died being 110 years old. He was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Dot, thank you. Dot, thank you so much for reading our lesson and grace and peace to each of you. On this uh, special Sunday, the second Sunday of September, we're so grateful that you're here for worship today. Grateful to the Joy Sound Orchestra for their beginning uh, and to all of our musicians. And uh, Adam, thank you for leading us as well. We had a, a marvelous leadership retreat yesterday here uh, that was led by Marilyn Webb, our lay leader, one of our co-lay leaders, Marilyn and Lee Newman as well. We had a wonderful morning together and we're grateful for all of, for so many of you that were a part of that session yesterday. And, and Richard, we're grateful uh, for your testimony as well. I do want you to know that when Richard went down the center aisle, he wasn't actually leaving, uh, he is here. So he's been with us at all three services today. We're grateful. Uh, to the drum rights, we have three generations of drum rights here, and we're grateful for each of them. And for those of you who are online with us, uh, it means a great deal to be with you today as well. So that's one of those texts that Dot was reading where you're looking at your neighbor going, where on earth are we going today? And we'll get there. We're beginning a new series this morning after last month's Core Values, which is the prequel to this series, which is entitled Called Together. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to think together about the nature of our calling as disciples of Jesus, and not just the personal call, although that's critical, but I'm thinking also about our communal call, our corporate call as a community, together called. And you'll note also, as Adam mentioned, that this series is coinciding with our capital campaign, which we're kicking off the public phase today. Between now and October the 15th, we're asking each of you to prayerfully consider a three-year pledge beyond the tithe for the repurposing and renewing uh, renovation of much of our space, including most of all the children's space in the oldest section of our building, 52 years old, uh, the renovation that we're doing there and some needed work updating that we're doing acoustically and with finishes uh, in, in the worship spaces as well. I want you to know if you, if you haven't read the material, uh, which is available on the website, that we're also uh, adding a million dollars into this campaign to buy the two homes for our healing housing 
ministry, which is making such a difference uh, in the lives, particularly of women who are coming out of difficult situations, coming out of recovery. Uh, they we're adding to purchase those two homes, and we're grateful to be able to do that at this point. The Commitment Sunday is October 15th. We're asking you to pray now. There are prayer stations uh, around the church today, also easels with pictures, uh, and we have members of our building team, Master Psych team who can respond to your questions. And then one other word that I want to mention that in preparation for the public phase, I have some good news that we've had 54 of our families who have made lead pledges in advance of today for a total of $7,723,000. So uh, with that, we are about 45% there before we begin. And also to let you know that when we hit the $10 million mark, that we have a donor who, has, who is going to match us for the next $3 million. In other words, so if we raise 13, we'll have 16 million. And we're so grateful for that donation and we're grateful for your prayerful support uh, of this particular campaign in light of Called Together. Now to the text. Genesis chapter 50, which is the conclusion of the book of beginnings, we've read the last few verses, is a very odd passage for a series like this. Let me explain what it is. It's a deathbed scene. Joseph, one of the patriarchs of the Old Testament, is nearing the end of his days. You all remember Joseph, son of Jacob, grandson of Isaac, he was the great-grandson of Abraham. He is one of 12 brothers who, you know, established the 12 tribes of Israel. One of 12 siblings that God would use to save the region from the famine. You remember that though he was a victim of sibling rivalry, that he would rise up to become the prime minister of Egypt. So in the culture of that day, he was the second biggest wig in the world, which was a big stretch for a Jewish boy. He would bring his family, who had been suffering from the famine, over to Egypt to the land called Goshen, where they would find provisions, and he would live to the ripe old age of 110. That's a good run. I saw recently in the paper that Edie Cesarelli is the oldest living American today. She recently turned, get this, 115. Yeah, it kind of makes you weary. She, she lived independently until age 107, makes her home in Willits, California, 150 miles or so north of San Francisco. They asked Miss Edie how she felt on her birthday, and she replied, I'm a little tired. It reminded me also that she said, it costs more for my candles than my cake. <laughs> she had reached that point in her. In fact, she said, uh, I've gotten to the point at my age where I'm scared of flowers. <laughs> yeah, somebody told me after the early service, you know you're getting older when you stoop down to tie your shoes and you think what else you could do while you're down there. She retired, retired. Well, Joseph was tired, 110. Hospice had come in. They called the family, the children. 
to surround him. His two sons are side by side, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with one of the grandchildren, along with the others. Joseph lived to see his great-great-grandchildren, and now here he is planning his own funeral. He made up the bulletin. He picked the hymns. He picked out the readings, decided on who would be the eulogist. And at this point in the text, he's contemplating his final resting place, the place of burial. Now understand that as a former prime minister of Egypt, there would have to be a state funeral. He'll be embalmed. In fact, that's in the text. It's not a throwaway line. He'll be embalmed and buried in a coffin. By the way, did you know that Egyptians invented embalming because they believed that a person could never be resurrected from the dead unless their body was preserved, intact. And so, embalming and a coffin. But just before he breathes his last, he has one final request. He says to the family, look, I'm not going to be with you much longer, but God will surely come to you. This is predicting the exodus. God will come to you and bring you up out of this land, the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when that happens, I want you to carry my bones from here. That's an odd request. There's a similar request, a similar scene just three or four chapters before in Genesis 47 with Joseph's daddy, whose name was Jacob, on his deathbed. Neither Jacob nor Joseph wanted to be left behind. And I don't know, but when I interact with this text, I wonder if maybe their biggest fear was the fear of being forgotten. That's a legitimate fear. In fact, I discovered with a psychological background, I discovered there's a term for this fear. It's hard to pronounce. It's called athazagoraphobia. It is the intense fear of being forgotten, of being ignored, or worse, to be replaced. Now, I want to suggest to you if anybody knew what it was like to be forgotten, It was Joseph. You remember that as a teenager, his brothers threw him into a pit. You remember that? And that later they sold him into slavery to a group of Midianites who took him into Egypt. If anybody knew what it was like to be forgotten, it was Joseph. In Egypt, you remember, he was falsely charged by Potiphar's wife and imprisoned, incarcerated for at least two years. He was abandoned by his cellmates who had promised that when they were acquitted, they'd speak a word on his behalf, but they forgot about it. There's even a text in Exodus 1.8 that after Joseph's death, a new Pharaoh arose who did not remember Joseph. Just deleted him from the record books, which incidentally is what we do when reality doesn't fit my narrative, I just strike it from the record. And this leader's influence, this Pharaoh's indifference to the past led to the enslavement of an entire race of people. Forgotten. 
Paul Tillich, the theologian of the 20th century, said, in the depths of the anxiety of having to die is the anxiety of being eternally forgotten. Joseph understood that. Now, understand that rabbinic sources, however, suggest that Joseph's greatest fear was not that he would be forgotten. No, his greatest fear was that his kinsmen would forget God. That his family might forget their identity. That his kinsmen might forget their lineage, their heritage, their history, and their calling. And I don't know, you've probably discovered this, but a good memory can be vital to faith. I mean, it's vital to relationships. It is imperative that I remember August 24th, 1985. We've been married for 38 years. That's an important date to remember. It's vital. In fact, there's a Hebrew word for memory. It's zakar, Z-A-K-A-R, which literally means imprint. Picture a developer of photographs who's developing a photograph which you took a picture of and it begins to form an imprint on the piece of paper that becomes a memory from which you draw strength, zakar. It's all over the Bible, you find this word. Remember the rock from which you were hewn? It's in the Bible. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember that you once were slaves in Egypt. How about this one? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Jesus with bread and wine, do this in remembrance of me. A thief by the cross, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget his benefits is pretty important to life and to faith. Case in point is the story of the prodigal son. Luke 15, a man has two boys. The younger of the two approaches his dad one day with a peculiar request. He says to him, Daddy, I want my share of the estate before you die. In other words, he's saying, you're more you're worth more to me dead than alive. And for some reason, the dad gives him what he's asking for, and the boy takes off to a far country, which is a Jewish way of saying he goes AWOL spiritually, lives among the Gentiles. He becomes penniless, destitute, and winds up working on a pig farm, which is about as low as a Jewish boy can go. It's unkosher. But something happens that turns him around. What was it? It was memory. The text says, when he remembered his father, he came back to himself and went home. The longest trip that I ever made was coming back to myself. Maybe you understand. This is why I think ministry to kids, to children and youth is absolutely critical. This is why worship and spiritual formation and Bible teaching, it's about giving them something to come home to. 
Sherry and I, when we were raising teenagers, used to use this verse a lot among ourselves. Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when she's old, she will not depart from it. And I would add parenthetically, even if she does depart from it, she'll come back to herself. So Joseph's request to dig up his bones is not just remembering Joseph, it's about remembering God. And I've discovered in my own walk that when I fail to recall God's promise in the past, I pretty much become oblivious to his presence in the future. And then we become dismembered from community, from identity. When God comes to deliver you, says Joseph, I want you to carry my bones with you. Years later, Jewish midrash, get this, Jewish interpretation says that while the Hebrew slaves were packing to leave Egypt years later, the Exodus, that Moses was actually out at night searching for Joseph's bones so that their deliverance, their Exodus would unfold just as promised. It was, after all, Joseph who prophesied the Exodus. Also, the Talmud, which is another Jewish interpretation of the Old Testament, says that while Moses was searching for Joseph's bones, a descendant of Machir, the grandson of Joseph, a descendant of Joseph's grandson, came to Moses and pointed to the gravesite. And Exodus 13, 19 says, as Moses and the children of Israel are going through the Red Sea, Joseph His bones are being carried by Moses because Moses knew that the sons of Israel had promised to do so. He's not just digging up bones. He's stirring up memory. He's digging up promise is what he's doing. He's he's remembering the covenant, the calling in the DNA of the people. Now, I realize that sometimes this phrase, digging up bones, has some pretty negative connotations. Have you ever eavesdropped with someone and and they had lost their capacity to affirm or encourage and they're just digging up bones, digging up dirt on someone? In fact, country music, I remember Randy Travis. You remember this? Had a number one hit called Digging Up Bones. It was about, you know, same old thing. Every country song is about heartbreak and love gone wrong and betrayal. And we think of digging up bones as exhuming broken promises. But in this case, it's about unearthing promises kept. By the way, isn't it interesting that the word zikar is not only about remembering a promise, but it's about passing a promise on. And before Moses died, get this, Before Moses died, he passed on the bones of Joseph to Joshua. This is in the Old Testament. And Joshua 24, in that text, we learn that after the Hebrew people crossed over the Jordan and came into the promised land, that Joshua buried Joseph's bones in Shechem, which was the exact location where Father Abraham first accepted God's call. In fact, Abraham built an altar in Shechem. 
And it occurs to me that everybody here probably in some way is carrying somebody's bones. I'm not talking about skeletal remains. I'm talking about spiritual DNA. This time of year, I always think of my father. He died about this time, 19 years ago. In fact, the exact date, I remember the exact date and hour, September the 14th, about 11.30 in the morning. My mother and I were with him and served as ushers for him into the kingdom. He gave his body to Vanderbilt University, to the med school. We didn't get his cremains back for over a year. And when finally we did, uh, we put the box of cremains in this bench. It's over at Woodlawn Cemetery. And every now and then I'll drive over and I'll just sit on the bench. That bench is angled towards the chapel where he walked with many people through stages of death and dying. And sometimes I just go over and sit on the bench. And sometimes I'll preach my sermon and I can hear him say, you need a little more work. And when I do, I feel like I'm carrying his bones. I'm passing on a promise that he was faithful to pass to me. In 1807, Francis Asbury came to Williamson County. He was a British-born Methodist preacher who was sent here as a circuit rider by an Anglican pastor named John Wesley. Bishop Asbury became one of the first two bishops of the Methodist movement in this country. He traveled thousands of miles as a circuit rider. In fact, they say that he preached 16,000 sermons. That's a lot of preaching. When he came to Williamson County, they said he was deeply, he was deeply afflicted. Well, you ride a quarter of a million miles on horseback, you're not going to... But he came. And he established a beachhead here, which about 40 years later became known as Brentwood Methodist Episcopal Church. We're carrying his bones. It's 172 years old, this church, and it's still kick kicking. And sometimes I stop and think how baffling it is what these old bones have seen. Civil War, Reconstruction, Two world wars, the 1918 pandemic, the Great Depression, women's suffrage, the civil rights, desegregation, Vietnam, numerous recessions, 9-11, COVID, political polarization, theological schism, church fights, the screen. <laughs> and we're still here. Spirit of God still breathing on dry bones. Week after week, resuscitating our weary, broken hearts, and bringing us back to life, sending us, calling us again. Last word. What a privilege to baptize this precious child, Everett William. Son of Elisha and Andrew, born on the 26th day of April, 2023, on a Wednesday, a part of the class of 2041. How about that? That boy will retire in 2080. 
He will live to see his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and to welcome the 22nd century. I, sh I shudder to think of the changes that kid will see. But my prayer for your boy is that he will carry our bones and embody the spirit of the risen one who on the third day left no bones behind but continues to embody himself in love and grace in us as we continue to live out our call together. That's my prayer. May it be so in his life, in your life, in my life, in our life to the glory of God. Amen.